Welcome to episode 49 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And this week we have special guests with us from PubNub, Todd Green and Stephen Blum. Yeah, so um, we invited you guys on because I, I, last week, I think it was, or early in, in, in this, yeah, I guess it was early in this past week, there was a, um, an article about you guys that popped up on um, Hacker News. Uh, and that's what kind of brought it, brought you guys to our attention. And it just so happened that we were, that we had been talking about, you know, Comet uh, fairly recently, haven't we, uh, Justin? I think we brought it up in a recent show. Yeah, we brought we did bring it up, and we we said we were talking about how hard it was, and we were talking. I was saying how I'd like to use something like that for Swarm because I want to make Swarm into a networked game. Right. So, um, yeah, and then I, I guess you guys saw on Google that we had talked about you and got in contact with us. Um, so it seemed like a really good idea to bring you on the show and, and find out um, what you guys are up to and talk about your cool technology and what you guys are doing in terms of business and all that. So who, who should we be directing our, our questions to? <laughs> <laughs> good question. Well, um, Stephen is definitely our, our uh, you know technical genius here. So the person that will uh, probably be best to, to talk about the the product and and uh, how it works and, and how it typically would be used would be Stephen and and just overall company and business. So I'm happy to answer those questions. But first of all, we really much you know hugely appreciate you uh, inviting us on your show and thanks for the opportunity. Oh, not a problem. It's our pleasure. Um, so why don't you guys uh, start by telling us a little bit about yourselves and your and your background and how you met and and all that. That's usually I find that stuff usually pretty interesting. So for the background part, yeah, uh, whoever wants to start, go go ahead. Uh, sure, Stephen. Okay. Uh, well, so Stephen and I actually have worked together in the past and um, and have collaborated on a number of different projects. Uh, and what's kind of funny is that. Um, as we started to build a lot of different projects that we were working on, you know, side projects, fun projects, you know, real business projects, but whatever they were, a lot of them required some sort of real-time communication or near real-time for the ideas that we had. Uh, and we started to sort of either rebuild or, or think about rebuilding the same technology over and over again. And we started to look for solutions out there, realized that there really wasn't much that was being offered that kind of solved the problems that we needed to do. And that, that's sort of how PubNub came to existence, was just sort of trying to not reinvent the wheel over again and not being able to find anything in the market that uh, that did what we needed. Right. Now, are, where, where are you guys located? In San Francisco. Yes. Okay. So, so were you guys working in, uh, with other startups or were you guys working in a big corporation together or how did you guys meet? Yeah, we met in other startups. And, um, and like I said, we've kind of you know, uh, always sort of talked about various projects and worked on small projects uh, of one sort or another, uh, just you know, over the past year. Right. Did, are any of those startups still around, or how? What? what Why did you guys go out on your own? Well, um, actually, they're definitely still around. Uh, I, I'm actually at a company called Trusted Opinion, and mm -hmm. uh, but um, this is something that I that I do with with Stephen as you know as, as a, we we kind of launch this as a spinoff. Right. It's like a side project for you guys. Right? <laughs> well, well, actually, for for me, I think for yeah, exactly, it is. Hey, Jason, can I just ask a quick question? Sure. Um, just just so that our listeners can know, for those who aren't familiar, what exactly is PubNub? It's uh, Stephen. Go ahead. It's it's PubNub is in its form just a communication bus. You don't need to worry about the technical details. It makes everything real time. It will take um, all the complexities that you have in Comet and Ajax, and what we've done is we've rendered all those complexities and technical 
of hardships into a pine strawberry jam, which you may spread onto your breakfast application <laughs> bagel. <laughs> and, and what would you what would you use it for? Typically, I mean, if if you could have some some basic use cases. The the main use case is if you want every every person who's using some service, say, like Google Docs, for example, if you want everyone to be uh, updated instantaneously and all of them to be synchronized, you would use PubNub for this. Um, the alternative is uh, sort of a long polling approach. And the problem with that is everyone would be unsynchronized by several long seconds. And it might not work out. Uh, it, it does work out, but it's just not nearly as exciting. So long, long polling is where essentially the client is every couple of seconds polls the server kind of thing absolutely so it's it's pull rather than push basically precisely right so if i could just elaborate on on some of those other sort of product ideas um you know you can take almost any product that's been launched in the last 15 years on the web and and kind of think of a real-time version of it you know everything from obviously a lot of mmo games via the browser that weren't even possible without this but even more mundane things like online auctions and uh, chat clients. I mean, there's just a host of, of things uh, that could use a real-time framework uh, that most people are either doing poorly or just not doing at all because they, they don't know or the tech wasn't there when they wanted to do it. Yeah, so it it sounds like there, there's there's two really hard aspects to this problem from my experience. I, I, I mentioned this a little on, the, on a previous podcast that I attempted to build my own um, Comet framework just sort of as like a two-week kind of fun project. And there's first of all there's the client side stuff so trying to get you know all the different major browsers to be able to you know receive real time push uh, notifications is hard because IE you had to use uh, you can't use the XHR um, component you have to use hidden for iframes and then in I think at Firefox you could use long lived um, uh, XHR uh, requests, and mm-hmm. I can't remember what I, what, what other um, browser I was using at the time because this was like 2007 or 2006 maybe. Um, but now you have Safari, you have Chrome, uh, you have Opera, IE, Firefox. You have all these different versions, and so and each one has their own sort of idiosyncrasies in terms of what they support. And it's not just a matter of like, okay, can I get the XHR component to work to receive a long live request, or can I get the iframe to work? But it's how do you get the Chrome to, on the on the browser to be quiet. So, for instance, you don't have like an hourglass cursor the entire time, or you don't have uh, the progress bar working on the um, on the status bar of the of the browser, which looks like something's broken or, or, or something. You know, and so <laughs> you have to do all these hacks to get that to work. So that was a real pain. And, oh, absolutely. And then the on the server side, it's like okay, now we need you can't use this, you know. And of course, when I say what you can and can't do, I'm I'm thinking in terms of 2006. You know, when I when I was building this stuff. So you know, four years later, some things may have changed. But at the time, you know, trying to get IIS or Apache um, or one of these sort of vanilla web servers to handle these requests was just not going to work because Apache, for instance, um, spawns a process for every single client connection. So you the the server quickly runs out of resources when you're trying to have, you know, 5, 10, 20, 50,000 concurrent um, connections. And so you have to solve that problem. And initially, I think that it was sort of termed the 10K problem. How do you have 10,000 simultaneous uh, connections? It's tough. It's a tough question. And there's many, many complexities complexities involved. uh, We are using Linux and this thing called ePoll. And without going into much detail beyond that, this allows us to have about 200 to 300,000 standing connections per server. Wow. Easily. 
uh, without any memory overhead, hardly at all. And are you guys familiar with this concept or, or technology called memcache? Yeah. Yeah, but go ahead and talk about it if you want a little bit in terms of what you guys are, how you're gotcha. using it. It's, it's sort of the same, same concept that allows just massive concurrent connections and long-standing connections at the same time. We're using this in a very pared-down, super simple form, which allows us to get the most out of each box. That's that's mm. where we're standing today, and that's why that's why it's working. So, did you build your own uh, uh, server to handle this? Is that is that what I'm understanding? Absolutely, that's what did we've you, done. What language did you use to build it in? We used C and many tools, and and Python and Perl and Ruby. Oh wow! So, okay. So you've been you've been getting into some pretty low level stuff then. Absolutely, OS level, user level, uh, just a step above the kernel. So that's that's great because that means that uh, you've got a pretty defensible technology that other people aren't going to be able to easily copy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what? Yeah, okay. Well, so, what? And, and I'm sorry, I didn't didn't mean to. No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Todd. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, you know, and, and what's cool about it, too, is that um, the technology can evolve over time. And as long as people are using our service and, and the clients we provide, you know, the, whether you're using you know, whatever programming language or whatever platform, whether it's browser or, or phone, um, you know, we can continue to, to evolve it. And all of those details are sort of hidden from the developer who just has to worry about the message getting from point A to point B. That's it, right. exactly. Okay, so what, now when you started building the server side, what did you try initially? What did you try any open source projects? And what led you to using this sort of combination of technologies? I'd like to hear a little about the evolution of your what you tried and what didn't work and what did work. Let's see. We've tried every single one of them. Um, we've tried Twisted uh, on Python just to see where that would go. It ended up not scaling as far as we wanted. Let's see. We also tried Node.js, uh, which it was great fun. And we actually have an open source project called Node Juice. Mm-hmm. It uh, that uses Node itself, and okay. it it seemed to work very well. It's very unstable at this point, and even the the main contributor said, "Do not use this as a production server, and always throw Engine X in front of it." So that didn't seem to work out well for us either. There was a couple others like uh, Event Machine in Ruby. Right. You could use that, which uh, actually also used ePoll, Select KQ, other OS. Uh, low-level services, but it was in a virtualized environment that was slower and couldn't quite handle as many connections as we wanted. Did you try Erlang? Erlang was definitely something that's in our hearts. We love this programming language. Uh, we didn't didn't investigate far enough because we found something that we really liked and that we we're really satisfied with. Now, now there's also there was also called like a Python one called Orbited. I think. Did you ever take a look at that one? Uh, uh, Orbited sounds interesting. I haven't heard of it. There is another one in Python called, what, a tornado? Yep. That, yeah, tornado. That and one we tried. So how, many, how, how long did it take you? How, you know, you're going through and trying things. What, what were you trying to hit? What was sort of like your benchmark? You're like, we want to get 100,000 connections with you know, X amount of messages per second. Per, you know, what were you trying to do that um, right. as a benchmark where you were comparing and testing these things with? Right. We've just been going around the web hearing the different ex- uh, expectations that people have had, and we were only expecting maybe around 10,000 connections at most per, per box. We right. were able to achieve something much greater with using just How basic. can you even test? I mean, how, how do you test that it does that all those different connections? That's so exciting. It's, it's so complex in testing this. We had to boot so <laughs> many servers just to see how far we could push the other servers to test. So we'd throw as many connections as we possibly could, 
And it, it was just astounding how how far we got. Wait, where are you getting these servers from? Are these like Amazon servers, yes, C2 servers? It is. We did. We were running this on Amazon and several other cloud platforms. And we're, we're, it's running. It, we we're so happy. But, but presumably you didn't, you didn't launch 300,000 Amazon servers and got each one of them to make a connection to your main server. No, we didn't need to. Like, um, like, so how, how, do you, how do you make one server, like how, how many servers were involved and how did you test the 300,000? Uh, of connections? Yeah, yeah. Let's see. So we launched, we only needed to really launch 10. So five servers were the main PubNub uh, core architecture messaging bus. The other five were using the same architecture bus so we can open the same number of connections and they were able to connect to each other, send messages across in big circles. <laughs> no, and no slowdown. Now, what kind of uh, what kind of message um, what kind of message throughput were you trying and how, what kind of latency were you seeing? Let's see. Uh, we're between uh, twenty milliseconds and two hundred milliseconds, depending on uh, the feeling that we get. Because we're also storing all all these all your activity, so we know how much to charge each person, and we've got all this analytics. So depending on how heavy that is there. Uh, when we turn that off, it's always 20 milliseconds or less. Yeah, because, you know, as it so happens, a, a friend of mine just contacted me uh, yesterday, and he, he owns a, uh, like a, a brokerage, like a stock, um, a futures trading brokerage, and they have an online, um, you can, I think you can trade and look at your market data online, and he wanted to talk to me about the possibility of getting real-time data, real-time analytics information streaming to clients, and I said, well... <laughs> this little technology called Comet, and in fact, we're talking to some guys tomorrow about it. So, wow. would PubNub? Would your technology? I mean, I know it sounds like your your techno that isn't exactly your business model. Um, it sounds like you might be. I'm not exactly sure what your business model is. Yet. We can get into that, but um, would just from a purely technical standpoint, it sounds like you guys could support that kind of a thing, right? I mean, if you have if they had you know five or ten thousand clients trading throughout the day and getting real time market data in. Yes. Is there some they could handle that in terms of latency and throughput without a problem? With, without a doubt and beyond our expectations, they will handle it. Todd, do you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, uh, for sure that's that's something we we uh, would love to, to to learn more about. And I think in general, you know, we started this out as a horizontal solution, but like any good startup, you know, we're we're looking at different vertical areas that may have more need or less need for something like this. Yeah. Um, I think that's a huge need. Yeah, because he, he, he contacted me yesterday and asked me about, you know, doing it and if I would be able to do it. And I said, well, I'll take a look at some of the technologies and see what might be the best bet. So uh, we're, after this, we're going to have to have a discussion about what you guys might be able to do because um, my interest, too, would be, okay, so can it, you know, what's, this, what's the client, what's the, you know, support on the browser and mobile devices and what are sort of the hooks on the server. So if, if I'm not sure what their server environment, if they're Windows or Linux machines or what and what languages they use, but how do I hook in and push a uh, market data, for instance, into the PubNub infrastructure that gets served out to all these clients. So why don't we just talk in general terms? I mean, that's a, that's a particular use case. How would something mm -hmm. like that work? Very straightforward. There's one function it's called publish and you have sent to every listening actor and at okay. that at that point that's that's all you get that's all you have to do okay so, so let's say that uh, i'm sorry just let me test this one question and, sure. I'll, and i'll give you the um the the bandwidth here so for instance if um you know let's say you have you have all these different clients but they're looking at different stocks right mm -hmm. some are looking at microsoft and google some are looking at you know 
gold futures, whatever. I mean, they're all looking at different stuff. Um, so they're listening. I guess I guess you might term it like a topic. They're listening to a different topic, being a stock yes. ticker or a channel. And so mm-hmm. it would push out here. Google just updated price. Anybody who's on the Google listening to subscribing to Google topic or listening to Google channel, I'm not sure what the terminology is you're using. Like mm-hmm. I said, but is there a way to do that? Is that how it work? Works? Yes, you, you hit it right on the nose. We call them channels, actually, and you specify the channel, and and anyone listening to that particular channel will receive the update all at the same time. So just to expand on that, I wanted to to, to put to you guys a use case, and that use case is uh, the iPad game that I'm building called Swarm, right? Oh, cool. And I, I want to make this into a networked game, and I wanted to talk to you about how you know how you would enge- how you would architect it uh, so for example there may be 10 users on their iPads playing swarm mm-hmm. and they would all need to view a list of who was online and then they would need to initiate games and then those games would just need to be private games like how would you architect that would would only pubnub be involved or would there be another central database system involved that kept track of all of the different games Like, how would it all hang together? You actually would only need PubNub for this network solution. You would set up a channel for, like, say, the the holding room where all the people would be able to see a list of everyone, and then you could start up another channel just completely out of the blue that only had a couple people playing this this particular part of the game. That's interesting. So so it sort of has some kind of database type of qualities in, in the sense of like so you so you open up a channel and mm-hmm. like what happens if the channel's been open for two hours and then some new person comes in like do they get all of the old messages they will receive uh there there is a history so there's a list uh, a history api that you can call to get up to 100 of the past published messages you really don't want to go much farther back than that because it's real time and you care about what's happening right now not really so much what happened in the past how do you deal with the central room of players like the lobby as it were like so you that that lobby needs to needs to kind of retain state about what games are active and what games aren't like how does that work with pubnub can i, can I actually answer that one yeah sure uh, just to give you okay uh, just to give some some clear commentary to that i think there's a number of ways i mean obviously you know the one way someone might initially think to do that would just be to go around a messaging service and make a query but you could do that through a message as well so the client when it when it turned on could basically make a query through the game room channel that says, you know, what are the active games? Who are the people in the game room waiting? And get a get a message back from the server. Um, that would maybe, or it could be something that was pulled every, you know, 20 seconds on that channel. Could there just be an updated message that was sent? So I think that I, I was correct in saying that a server does need to be involved, basically. some Something needs to be involved in kind of the, you know, some database level. To, to kind of understand what's actually happening, a snapshot, as it were. Yeah, I mean, you could you could clearly build something on your side that handles that kind of stuff, and then once once two games get going, um, then then you use PubNub to do the do the uh, real time communication. Right, that's nice. definitely one of the solutions. Uh, something I like that's a lot more elegant is using just PubNub and no other. You can. We've got actually some examples on GitHub. Uh, if you look through our, our app showcase, everything we have is open source. Uh, the, uh, we've got a chat client that that we're about to release that will show how to do this sort of thing without using a central server on your that you're hosting yourself. 
I mean, it, it would be nice to do it without using a central server. And it would be nice for you as well, because then, you you know, you get money for all of the stuff that we do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one thing you mentioned was on the server side, how you had to use a combination of technologies of C, Ruby, Perl, um, Python. Explain to me, what are, what, why did you need to, to spread it across four different uh, languages? What well, were the pieces that were required? Let's see. For all tracking analytics, we're using App Engine, and that's all Perl. I mean, sorry, Python. And this tracks all incoming connections and uh, other other analytics that we need for business decisions. And C for our primary server uh, server farm in the cloud. Right. Uh, that does all the actual comment listening. And then we've got Ruby scripts and other things that we use for testing and general maintenance. And then you say Perl as well? Or did uh, I mishear that? Yeah, that was a mistake. I'm sorry. I'm okay, sorry. so Python. Yeah. So you, 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 could have, you could have written it, let's say, in a couple languages, but it just happened that App Engine was, in, was a nice solution in, in Python, and it sounds like you probably are very comfortable with using Ruby for your scripting. Absolutely. So I see. And... Um, now, what what are your background languages? I mean, so you have you have to know several different languages. Were there, was there a learning curve in here for you, um, or were these all languages that you happen to know really well? Uh, both, I'm everything, okay. learning new things, and so excited. I'm I like learning all these new things. We're going to be opening up a couple more APIs in different languages, and I will be learning those as well. Okay, well, let's talk about learning. Let's go client side. So it sounds like you, you know, trying to ha uh, get Comet to work on all these different browsers, and and I think I yes. read you guys support some mobile devices. Now that sounds like a lot of pain, a lot of blood on the floor. It's um, so exciting, actually. It's so exciting, and there is a lot of blood too. But it's so exciting. So so let's hear what now. What did you try on the client side, and what failed, and and what ended up working, and what do you support? Just give us a yeah, give us a little um, synopsis see. of that. Um, all web rich. Mobile devices uh, are supported by PubNub, so iPhone, Android, Symbian phones, and BlackBerry, and they all use the same API as your as your web browser. Um, okay. And it's it's open source. Actually, we've open sourced this. So if you go on GitHub, you can actually download the client and see the specific techniques that we've used uh, to achieve connections between all all web rich devices. I noticed on the um, on the iPhone that it, it, it has it suffers from that issue that Jason was talking about, where the little spinny thing does keep on spinning. That is that is you, true. Yes, in, uh, and is that is that just the is that just the iPad that, and the iPhone that that that, that issue? That is, is the only for? case, correct? <laughs> so you were able so, so you were able to solve that problem on all the different browsers, huh? That they they keep the Chrome quiet and it's nice and smooth. Um, Absolutely, and and you might notice a few strangenesses here and there. They're all they're all ignorable. The thing that you're going to be watching is the, the pretty moving characters on the screen. Now, how, now, how long did it take you to solve that? Because I know I mean, there's so much trickiness to it. Were you able to borrow from some, like, I know Dojo is one library that had some common support. Were you able to use some open source libraries to help you get over some of these hurdles, or did you build everything from scratch? Everything was built from scratch, specific for the reason uh, mobile devices aren't always on a Wi-Fi connection. And you need really, really fast payloads. So we were able to reduce our payload down to two kilobytes for the entire client library. Uh, wow. What about dealing with things like um, network drop and stuff like that? It's, it's, it's um, what do you call that, um, capable of not bashing the network. 
um, it will know when the network is dropped and continuously try to find the next network connection. No, um, okay. So, uh, no, it sounds like this, how, how long did it take you to do this? Because, uh, you know, when I was initially messing around with some of this stuff, I mean, there was a lot of trickiness with each browser. And I can imagine, you know, trying to get, say, IE to, to play nice or something could take, you know, weeks or months of even of, like, <laughs> hammering around and trying 50 different solutions with iframes within iframes within frame sets within iframes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just right, right. ridiculous what you were trying to do to shut the Chrome up and get things to work. Um, yeah, I mean... I mean, was this uh, something that you were just magically created over a few weekends, or was this like months and months and months of you know long days and long nights of just trying everything? I mean, what what did this take? It's a combination of all of it. It was many iterations. We found lots of different solutions that worked for a few sets of browsers, and then suddenly found this one magical golden solution that worked all over. So we don't use Forever Frames, which is what you hear on the web. We don't right. use Flash. So this is why it's able to be it work on all mobile devices. What do you use? How long have you been on the project? How long have you been doing PubNub? Uh, PubNub specifically is just the face to a technology that we've been using for quite some time. And uh, I, I think that answers your question. Like quite some time, oh, okay. meaning like years or six months, or how long have you guys been working on this stuff? Uh, overall concepts have been going on for a couple of years. That's really cool. Now, okay, when you said you hit on a magical solution, what's what is there a magical solution without giving away your IP or something? Is there like a category of solution? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to actually have you expose something you don't want to expose. But is is there some? Is it some? You know, give us a basic idea of what the approach yes. was. It? It's it's a term that you don't hear. Uh, it's you probably heard of JSON P, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a play on JSON P that I call long pole comet JSON P. One call. I thought you were going to say something like voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> you probably heard it's called voodoo. Yes. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Way better, way better. That's actually what I'd like to call it, voodoo. Good description, because I don't think that gives away too many details. <laughs> so you haven't you haven't lost your uh, your IP there. Great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now we've been we've been blitzing uh, Stephen with questions. Why don't we uh, give Todd the floor and ask him some of the business stuff? So. You know, you guys, it sounds like you guys are, are have just launched or just in the process of launching. And give us a little background on the creation of the business and, and sort of where you guys at. And are you raising money or are you going to bootstrap it or what are you guys, what are you guys trying to do right now? Sure. Good question. So um, I, I think first off, you know, we really wanted to launch as a service and not a product. There's so many, you know, open source and commercial frameworks out there of one sort or another. And, you know, our feeling was, you know, there's a lot of that, but there's very little sort of plug and play approach. So the first idea was let's launch as a service. And then as a service, um, we can do more of a transaction uh, model in terms of billing. So we can, you know, very much like, a, like an EC2 or some other sort of Amazon service, we're, we're very open about our pricing. Um, we just literally charge on a per transaction basis. We give people a, a certain number of free credits per day so that if you're just using this for your blog or some lightweight site, or testing out your iPhone app, you're not paying anything. But then as your transaction volumes go up and as our network costs go up, you know, you pay a fair amount. So um, the idea is that the cost structure of getting this off the ground was pretty low. Now, in terms of trying to raise money, we actually have been approached by a couple of angels since we launched this. Um, we, we have such low cost structure right now that we're very happy to keep it sort of in the mode that it's in. Um, and then, you know, raise money uh, when we feel like there's a, there's a point that it needs to scale uh, from a business perspective. But right now, it's actually it, the, the success we've gotten and the traffic we've gotten has way exceeded our expectations. Um, 
In fact, just as a, a data point, last night we were doing a little poking and we, we found out that some site in Australia had <laughs> just uh, put in one of our um, one of our free uh, app showcase apps. Traffic, traffic beat. beat. Yeah. yeah, to measure the traffic on their site. Uh, we had no idea. You know, so it's these things are happening very quickly and we're just happy to um, to sort of you know, continue to work on the product and uh, and continue to start monetizing on the on the network side. Well, so could you do, you, do you think you guys could bootstrap then? Is that what you're saying here? Well, our hope is that the revenue from the product will definitely support us in the short term and that we would only raise money if there was a strategic reason to do so. You know, not just for the sake of raising money, um, but because there was a, you know, a point at which we wanted to, say, bring on a sales force or uh, really up-level the marketing or potentially uh, scale this in some verticals, and we wanted to, to create, say, vertical solutions for financials, vertical solutions for gaming, and so on. Um, right now, as a horizontal play, it, it's very much taking care of itself. And that sounds mm. like a very uh, smart way to do it, because you guys have, have done the really hard technical stuff, it sounds like. And if you guys can bootstrap your way to sort of solidify your product and, and move into some of these areas and prove some things out, then you have so much more leverage in, in, in terms of negotiating a fair fundraising uh, round. I mean, if you just come in early, then, yeah, they're going to you know, you're not going to get that great of a deal probably, but, and if you, the kind of service that you're providing, um, you know, like I said, I, I'm an example, you know, exhibit A, right? I mean, I, I have a, I have a need for this like right now. So like I said, we're going to be talking about this next week, I think, as a potential solution for, for this client of mine. Um, right. And it's a real client, right? I mean, this is an online brokerage. This isn't like some theoretical, <laughs> oh, we might, we're a startup, we might use it. It's like, you know, if you guys can provide a, uh, a robust, low latency, scalable solution um, for a reasonable price, um, yeah, I mean, that's going to work. So um, it sounds like, that I, I really like that idea myself. Get as far as you can on your own within reason. And then if you need to scale, scale, but let your you know customers fund your growth. Talking about the bank stuff, what in terms of security, um, I mean, I guess it doesn't need to be that secure for trader information, right? Or, or does it, Jason? How secure does it need to be? And then to the PubNub guys... Does it does it match that level of security? Okay, well, for instance, like you know, use, using this use case of a, of online brokerage data, you know, and people might be familiar with, say, like you know, you see advertisements on T for like E Trade and stuff like that, mm -hmm. or Scott Trade, like our streaming market client, right? Like through your browser, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm sure people have seen that, and that's that's essentially what you're what they're trying to do is streaming market data to your browser. Now, that isn't really transaction oriented because. Um, when you're tr you're just trying to get market data to your browser, if right. you're then going to go place a trade through your browser, that can be an AJAX request to the brokerage through some you know secure um, HTTPS SSL. Now, how how now here's a, here's a question that would is kind of interesting is like okay, so you guys are in a separate domain, and I know there's some kind of question about mixing. Um, mixing and matching um, JavaScript or AJAX requests or whatever between two separate domains. So you have you have your brokerage; they have their set of servers in New York or Chicago, or whatever. You guys are out in West Coast. You got you know mm -hmm. this EC2 cloud stuff is routing through there. I mean, how can this stuff mix and match on the um, on the actual uh, client? Use callbacks. It's actually this. It works across all domains. It's it's agnostic. Okay. It'll doesn't matter the website. Doesn't matter your location either. The we've got servers. But, but what, 
what Jason's saying is if if two if two separate domains are serving serving JavaScript, yep. so you've got PubNub serving JavaScript and you've got the banking website serving JavaScript or whatever whatever website. Gotcha. Now those those two pieces of JavaScript served from different servers need to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So you need to pass the PubNub stuff into the bank JavaScript. Um, I'm assuming that you do that via callbacks or something like that. Right. There's also um, uh, in in the client framework that we offer. There's XH across domain requests uh, function that you can call that can wrap as part of your um, it just as JSONP. So if you needed to make a call back to your bank and make this transaction happen, you could do so over over HTTPS securely. So basically, it would be the JavaScript that was served from the bank's website that would then call PubNub. That's it exactly. You hit it on the nose. I see. Okay, and 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 just just describe that a little in a little bit more detail. Like how how is that? How does that work? Uh, let's see. Well, um, it, I'd like to save that more for if you go to the tutorial section of our site because it's a little technical. Um, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> but it, it's just Good involved answer. in a callbacks within your JavaScript that will be able to check when things are going on. And it's it's a little different when you're calling outside to some other server other than PubNub. It's, if you're doing anything real time in PubNub, it's it's all transparent. You don't need to worry about it. No. So, should you guys both still have? You know, it sounds like you're still, uh, Todd, you still still have a full-time position. And, Stephen, are you working or consulting, or how do you guys support yourself for the time being? Uh, uh, Todd? Yeah, I mean, so so definitely uh, have a full-time position. Uh, Stephen does as well. Um, like I said, you know, the, the idea here is that um, we, we, we ramp this up to this point where it's its own business, and then we build a team around that. So, you know, once again, that'll, that'll depend on the speed at which this, uh, this thing grows and, uh, and the kind of traction we get. See, I, I, uh, well, I just follow up is I, I find that that stuff really interesting, partially because I think that's how Justin and I have been working, which is that, you know, we've both been doing full time consulting while we've been working on our projects on the side. And, you know, some people think of a side project as something that you, you know, screw around with a few hours here and there. I mean, I put in probably, I don't know, close to 20 hours a week on my sort of side project and Justin has done the same with Plugio and Swarm and I think it's interesting to know that you know we're not special cases that people launch businesses all the time working full-time or doing full-time consulting work um, in doing this stuff that's not like you have to just go and write a business plan and build a prototype a few weekends and go try and raise some money it's that you can do it this way and you guys are another example you guys are launching a real company by working on the side. Yeah, yes. I can also speak from some experience there because, uh, you know, I've actually been in the startup world for longer than I care to admit, actually. <laughs> but, um, but you know, one thing I did, for example, in 99, I was working for Sun Microsystems. And um, that was actually how I launched my first startup, uh, where uh, right around 2000, we actually had enough critical mass that uh, my business partner and I actually uh, left Sun and um, raised a, a little over $17 million for a company called CascadeWorks, which we later sold. Um, but I've also worked with um, a variety of people who sometimes start companies with core technology and then spin them off, not necessarily for themselves, but uh, by bringing a team around that technology and launching it as a company. And so there's so many different ways to do it. You know, it's not like you have to follow that traditional model of, you know, working at your day job, coming home at night and hoping that someday your, your night job will, will turn into a day job. Um, there are a lot of ways to bootstrap and start companies uh, and then actually wrap teams around those companies as well. So there's just so many you know, interesting, fun, and great entrepreneurial techniques out there. Uh, definitely, there's, it's, it's, it's worth everyone doing, I think. Yeah, Justin, I'm sorry, you had a, you had a question? I did have a question. Um, so you, you guys um, 
have started this and it's it's kind of like a side project but it's getting a lot of publicity and i'm wondering how that sits with um the your bosses at your day job and and how you kind of um work that in work that in and <laughs> to discussion mm-hmm. and and just the, that whole thing like how does that work well, I think, you know, it, 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 you don't want to do things in secret. And I think that, you know, it, it's, it's about being open and honest and with, exactly. with, uh, with the people around you and right. being clear about, um, you know, being clear on what's happening. I, you know, I have no desire to quit my day job. Uh, I think that, you know, for, for me, this is, a, this is a great way to, to bootstrap ideas uh, and then, you know, launch them into separate companies. And I think, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's much better to, uh, to be open about these things uh, earlier rather than later and, and to make sure that, you uh, you know, you're 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 covered, and the, the company you're working for is covered, and that there's no there's no confusion or conflict. Interesting. Yeah, because Justin, you said the same. I asked you the same question because last week you accepted a job. You're still going to be working ho- at home because the company you're working for is located in New Hampshire, and they're cool with you putting some side time into Plugio and Swarm, right? I mean, you're yeah. very open with them, and you said, hey, these are things I work on. It doesn't conflict with the business. I'll be putting in a full effort. And, yeah, I think you're right. If you're, if you're open and honest and clear about what you're doing, and, and, and they don't get the sense that you're, that you're not putting in a full effort for, for them, it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess so. there are always those things. That, I mean, I, I've read articles about legal issues that you've got to be really careful, in, especially if you're, try, if you're you know, working – on site somewhere and you're sitting there after hours work using their machines and their network and you're building your own stuff that's probably a mistake you should probably make sure you're doing it at home literally on your own time there's oh, no precisely exactly. um you know it's hard for them to argue if you're sitting at home on a sunday morning coding something <laughs> but if you're sitting at their office and like oh everybody leaves at six o'clock and then you, you you know grab some dinner and you come back and you're sitting there at your desk kind of coding that's other stuff i mean that gets kind of a gray area that you know you could depending on you know the the people who own or run the company what view they might take of that but um but i think that's really cool i think it's inspiring because i think a lot of the people who a lot of our listeners i think are they're either entrepreneurs or they're kind of on the verge or they're playing around with stuff and it's just a good example to say you know yeah you can you can do you can build stuff and launch stuff on the side and uh, it's so exciting it's really (laughs) exciting so how 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 old are you guys? So Todd, it sounds like you've been around a little bit. I mean, J- Justin and I are, you know, Justin, what you're forty? Forty one, I hate to say. Like you're sixty five, but you're forty. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So Thank he's forty. You. You're forty. Wait, I'm sure you said you're forty one. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm thirty nine. So Todd, you're probably not that much younger than us, right? Uh, I'm actually the same age as you, Jason. I'm sorry, I hear that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, how how old are you? I'm in my mid twenties. Yeah, so it's not, you, you sound you sound like you're uh, young, but it sounds like you're very, uh, you know, very technically uh, competent. Um, you know how? Give us, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you probably started when you were like uh, nine or it's something. Like seven, right? you know, <laughs> and he's in there. For, yeah. Still now. You know, the scary thing about Stephen is just that you know he talks about stuff he was doing when he was five. That you know, I, I think that I, I was working when that stuff was happening. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So, uh, Stephen, what, you know, did you tell us your background in code? I mean, you're young. You're doing some really cutting edge stuff. Um, so you were in college when I was playing around with Comet four or five years ago, I guess. I mean, wow, <laughs> yes. And, and now you've totally built a kick-ass, in, you know, industrial scale solution. So, yeah, did you that's, recoding that's in it. high school? Where'd you do? And where'd you where'd you go to school? What'd you study? And what were you building on the side? I'm always curious about that stuff. 
So I went to school in Seattle in Bellevue, and I I always carried around this notebook of algorithms with me. I wouldn't consult other books because I always would just kind of assume that it was not quite as romantic. So I just wrote down all my algorithms of thought in these books and came up with all solutions that everyone else has come down with. And suddenly I just like it clicked and like I fell in love with technology and uh-huh. just started building everything as awesome as I possibly could. And then PubNub came around. Well, that sounds like, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's definitely no lack of enthusiasm from you, Stephen, that's for sure, which is awesome. I mean, it's that just absolute, uh, you know, uh, passion or commitment to something and just and the other thing too is which which is interesting what you say is you had your notebook of your own algorithms that you were not trying to look at other people's solutions you were trying to come up with your own solution which is something that i've i've done a lot i and i know that people often take a um you know kind of a poor view of it sometimes because they're like oh you're reinventing the wheel and this and that yes. but that's what and happens. that can be true. You can waste time reinventing a wheel, but a lot of times you can develop a new path. You can look at things other people saw as barriers or, or thought just can't be done, and you can just do a better job. And one of my favorite quotes from, um, oh, the guy who uh, created, uh, who, uh, who was first described, Jason um, Crockford. Yeah, Douglas Crockford. Doug Crockford. And he says, the thing about reinventing the wheel is you can get around one. <laughs> <laughs> I love great. that. And the other one, I think, was one of the guys. I think he's the guy who leads Android development, and he says, um, "Don't uh, don't reinvent the don't reinvent the wheel." Can be interpreted as two separate things depending on the context. Context, which is one, please don't compete with me, or <laughs> please don't make me learn anything new. <laughs> so oh, wow. I, you know, and I, I understand. Like if there's a if there's a, a, a rock solid library um, that you can use to do something, that rewriting it yourself just for the hell of it, it can be a real waste of time and money. And and I understand that. But Absolutely. sometimes when you're going after doing something that nobody has really done very well yet, or it's a core part of a solution that nobody has completely solved, which is this common thing has not been completely solved. There are lots of half or three quarter solutions. But J- Jason, it's also like we've been saying on the show before, which is. I mean, I'm a great believer that everyone should write a couple of frameworks, a couple of web frameworks, because if you don't, if you just start using something like Django or Ruby on Rails or whatever, you don't know how it works. You don't know the you, you don't know the inner guts. Whereas if you've written a couple of frameworks, then you're going to have a much better idea. Yeah, sure, it's reinventing the wheel, but yeah, that's true. It's going to for sure. It's yeah. just going to give you a much deeper understanding. And it sounds like you've done a lot of that, Stephen. Absolutely. You've, it sounds like you've got you've built a lot of things that have already been built, built, but it's given you this this deep knowledge of uh i think also you know i would i would say that on you know as technology progresses and there's more frameworks on top of more frameworks i think it's harder and harder for new people entering in technology to to get down to the bare metal right to get down to the os and 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 to go up from there because it's just sort of easier and easier to just use the top layers and so um you know i think yeah reinventing the wheel has a lot to be especially on the education side for sure yeah and it's a building that confidence like i i you know you you could probably argue that if Stephen did not have this attitude of like I want to build it from scratch I want to do it my way that this problem may not have been solved if he was just like well I'm going to try and use this server and I'm going to try and use these libraries that well he did try yeah but he it, did but, try but, and but, they but, found out that it couldn't work right well yeah okay so he tried it which is good but then but where a lot of people may not never have had the confidence to say you know what screw it I'm building it for myself they would have just kept trying to hack the solution together and not not really got anything that was completely yes. workable. Yes, I think that's exactly it. I agree. 
you got it yeah and so that's i think that's great i mean i and also we we've talked about on the show um a couple times about carrying around a notebook to write down your ideas in and there's a quote from i can't remember who it was but they said the guy said i've i've Anyone who I've ever met that was very interesting carried around a notebook to write down ideas. So I guess, Stephen, you automatically <laughs> fall in that category. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I clearly don't because I keep thinking about doing it, but I never do. So obviously I'm not that interesting. <laughs> so on the homepage of uh, PubNub, there's a little ticker uh, live thing. What, what's that all about? That's Traffic Beat. It uh, tracks every single click that some, if someone hits your site, you get to see who... who when when it happened that instant so it's kind of exciting so say if you launched an ad and you want to see how how good it's doing uh say like ad on google adwords you want to just watch the site you can't actually use google analytics to get real-time data to see how well the ad is doing at the particular moment but if you have traffic beat on your site you can just sort of watch people hit your site and it's 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 addicting and very distracting at the same time but yeah. So that's Traffic Beat on PubNub rather than on someone else's website. This is, yes. So you're seeing Traffic Beat only on on, uh, on on PubNub's traffic. So if you've got Traffic Beat on another site, then you'll see only traffic based on that site. So basically anyone can add Traffic Beat to their site. And is it is it free? I mean, or how does that work? It's pretty much free. All, all medium and small traffic websites will not exceed the free bandwidth quota, which is 5,000 uh, published events per day. And if you receive less than 5,000 clicks in your day, you're, you're good. You're good to go. So basically, it's, it's an example of PubNub. Exa- absolutely. It's an example usage. It's also completely open source. If you want to see how it was written, just click on that PubNub API GitHub link at the top of our site. And just right below the logo, it will take you to the code repository. In fact, let me just add to that. We have three sample apps in our app showcase. There's the Traffic Beat, there's Mouse Speak, which you might have seen if you go to any other page on PubNub, and there's also Simple Chat, um, which is a simple chat client. But we would love for people to submit to us any apps they'd like to see um, using our oh, technology um, on our showcase. We'd love to yes. add it to our showcase. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And so one, one other thing is you guys use App Engine yes. um, to, to do the stats. What's your thinking behind that? App Engine has this really wonderful, uh, what do you call it? They use Bigtable for their database engine that we don't have to worry about just throwing data. We never have to worry about disk disk consumption or or scaling the, that particular set of analytics. It just just dump and then we can run queries on it. And that's that's what we're using. It's also the face of our site. So if you hit PubNub.com, you're actually hitting App Engine's uh, static drive. So App Engine is like connecting behind the scenes to what PubNub's doing on Amazon Cloud. And essentially, is that, is that the, the potential for the latency? Yes. And, and actually, the latency is way, way low, way low latency. So, so re- regarding this swarm thing, I still don't quite get how it could f- be fully done through PubNub. Like, how would you kind of do the retained state stuff? Right. It's a little, it's a little um, tough to, to describe and to think. Uh, about it. So we've got this history API you can use to sort of hold state there. Also, since this is going to be a network application, you really only care about um, who's in the room at that very moment, right? Say that the holding waiting room area. Yeah. Um, So if one person is there, suddenly that person is a node. Uh, Another person joins, they publish, hey, I've just joined to this channel. 
now everyone knows to post back to that channel saying, hey, I'm, I'm also here. And so every time a new person joins, everyone says, okay, I'm here too. And they all, all can hear that they're um, available in this room. At that, at that sounds kind of cool. And it sounds like it'd be easy for, for two people to start a game and then for maybe a bunch of other people to just watch that game. 100% yes. Yeah, in fact, that was actually one of the things we talked about a lot is this idea of, of silently listening or following what someone's doing by just subscribing to the channel and silently, you know, uh, listening to the messages coming across. <laughs> yeah. In a sense, you could have something like Twitter, but real time. Y precisely. Absolutely. We like to think of this as Twitter for machines, in fact. Yeah, we have that quote on our website right now, actually. Oh, nice. I mean, have you considered something like that? Have you considered um, also maybe potentially branching out and, and making the apps? Yes. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. That's something we're really excited about. We've built this platform and more for ourselves than, than anything. And we made it as easy as possible. And we found out it was so easy that we opened it up to the public. And that's just something that we, we set out there. But we're really excited about building apps ourselves. So right now it's just uh, messaging, but could it ever be used for things like vo uh, voice? I mean, could it ever go in any other directions? Right, right now, uh, that, that doesn't make sense for this service. It's more of a direct communication update of metadata. So if there's any binary data that's going to be updated, you would, you would throw the metadata across the network saying, hey, it's available. That, right. that client would then immediately go to the heavy binary data and download from the source. Okay, makes sense. Definitely. So now, how did you guys come up with the name PubNub? Uh, we tossed around a couple of names, and uh, we actually have a blog entry on it um, that sort of described it. it. PubNub just sounded the most bizarre and fun at the same time. <laughs> That's what we chose it. <clears throat> yeah, because I, I think there was a company that was all like, I don't know, they went under, but it was called PubSub, and, uh, which obviously the publish, subscribe, um, you know, methodology, which is essentially what you guys are doing. And right. they were the first person, first company that I think remembered actually doing this. They, and they open sourced their engine, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And I remember looking at it back, you know, 2004 or five, and it was a garbled mess. It was <laughs> ginormous. It was so complicated. I think it was Pearl, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it was gotcha. PHP, but it was just absolutely, uh, the most complicated thing I'd ever seen. And, um, I really couldn't make heads or tails of it. So, uh, you know, but I think they went under. And uh, there's been a couple, like, there's, there was, what's there something, Pub Sub Hubbub or something? That's it on the oh. nose. And I would like to talk about those guys for a second because yeah, they're, they're very different. And what they yeah. do is they're a, a server to server on the back end publish, uh, publishing service. So it's sort of like RSS to RSS, it's not client to client. It's like it's completely different. It's also non-hosted. It's not a service. It's something you have to install and and have on your own central server. Right, right. Now I thought it would be good for you guys to differentiate yourselves, or at least be able to explain <laughs> that you guys are not the same or anything to do with them. Um, exactly. I, wasn't that something out of Google or something? Wasn't that a Google project? I'm I'm not certain. I know Google has been talking about it internally and externally, and they're releasing something called a channel API, which okay. is just just uh a pub sub hub thing that allows you to do that more easily, but only from server to server. It's not a client to client thing. Right. Um, wasn't there a, uh, I, I haven't, I haven't followed this blog, but there was a blog that was dedicated to Comet technology. It was kind of like Ajaxian was for Ajax. It was like commented oh, wow. or, 
Do you know what I'm talking I, about? Even? No, I don't, but I'd love to find it and read it and, and see if they're wrong about anything and totally give it to them. <laughs> nice. I like the attitude. I, I can't remember. I, 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 I was following them for a while, um, and I had them on my reader, and I think at some point my reader got reset, and I kind of lost I lost the blog. At it. But that that's – let's see if I have here. Yeah, it's called Comet Daily. That's okay. right. Go to Comet Daily, and oh, they're still publishing. Uh, they got about twelve hundred, you know, uh, subscribers on uh, Google Reader, and uh, you know, they have, you know, they're they're constantly writing about all the different, uh, you know, client and server um, libraries and the various companies and what they're doing and the different types of protocols and standards. So. Okay. I'm surprised that you guys haven't seen them, but I guess if you're building the stuff yourself, you're like, hey, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what anyone else. Is doing. This is what uh, we're we we still have uh, we still have a lot of market new work to do on that side. So for sure, uh, we need to get more into inject ourselves more into those conversations. As, you know, on, on top of that. Yeah, we'll put, I'll put a link to it on the blog, but it's commentdaily.com is the is the website, and um, yeah, I used to yeah, I guess it's still in my feed reader <laughs> for all these years. Did you ever hear of uh, pushlets? Pushlets, no. That's this one of the when I first was looking at the technology, it was a Java-based solution. So they built a JavaScript library, and their entire server infrastructure was all Java. And and the and the and the, and the terminology they used was pushlets, as you know, like applets, right? Because it's Java. Gotcha. And you'd heard of heard of them. That's uh, I don't even know if they're still around. Had you have you guys seen like some of the commercial stuff, like Lightstreamer? Because Lightstreamer charges like a per server or per site license, which is pretty expensive, if I recall. Oh, wow. That, that's just, that's not fair or fun at all because what if you <laughs> want to just test it out or play with it and, you know, even build something on the API and have it hosted for a while? It's, that's just plain. Yeah, you know, I think what their model is, is, you know, they'll, they'll give you like a 30 or 60 day trial kind of a thing, but they're really aiming towards verticals like uh, the financial. Uh, world. Right. So if yeah. you know E-Trade or whatever, and it wants to stream their market data, and and I, if I recall, it was something like ten thousand dollars per server license, or thirty. Oh my 000, goodness, thirty thousand dollars for a site license or more. And so it was really expensive. I had talked to them um, back in two thousand six because I was looking to um, do some stuff in that area. I built some of my own stuff, but I realized it was just a lot more work than I really wanted to. Um, deal with at the time and uh, i talked to them and it was just you know yeah it's that model can can be could be a good uh, revenue model if you're just going to if you're going to have a sales team and hit um these verticals and, and they're probably more than happy to pay 30 or fifty thousand dollars i guess if these are if these big big companies um but gotcha. for all the small or mid-sized companies or all this sort of trial projects that are trying to do stuff you're right having something that scales and doesn't cost very much allows them to go to 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 work their way into these systems sort of from the grassroots. Right. You know, and this has been going on, you know, time and time again over the last five to ten years. You know, you've got these old enterprise type of companies with an enterprise sales model uh, and very, very, very complex technology, you know, overly complex and uh, overly, uh, you know, just overly thought out. Um, and then you start to see smaller companies come up that maybe initially are targeting small to medium-sized businesses of one sort or another, but they always crawl up market. I mean, that went on in hardware first, and now it's definitely been going on in software. You know, even you know Gmail. You see huge corporations now getting rid of their Outlook systems and rolling in Gmail, and it's just, you know, I would just put them into that category of companies that's going to have to start competing at the low end. Uh, that starts to sort of you know eat into their business. Yeah, that's and that's you know, Justin and I have talked about this topic some. 
what my my little project called uh, App Ignite, which is for building for allow non-developers to build uh, web applications without programming. And you know there are some solutions out there that allow sort of corporate web web database front end sort of like there's one called QuickBase that Intuit owns, yep. mm-hmm. and they charge like sixty dollars per user per month. Right. So if you if you have some like web based invoice tracking CRM ish type of application, you know mm-hmm. maybe that makes sense for for a corporation to pay that kind of money. But for anything that's smaller, it's just ridiculous. You're never going to build a public facing web app using their technology. And if you're a smaller company, that's just really too high priced. And so, if you're betting on your customer success, you know you, you start out cheap with them and they grow big, and you know you grow big with them. So it, you know it's an easy scale model as well. Yeah, so you want to, yeah, and, and, and my view too is going after uh, one thing I was talking about. I think we talked about this podcast, but it's like uh, my, what I'm thinking now is I'm going to target designers because they're the kind of the grassroots people. They're all on the web. You can find them in one place, right? They're all in lots of different, they read the same blogs and the same like Smashing Magazine and websites like Dribble and stuff. So you can find them. And if you can find the people there, if they like using, you know, if they liked using App Ignite, for instance, then they that would find themselves from the bottom up into the corporate environments right because these designers are consultants or do contract work for larger companies and if they're able to build an application then do design for it it's not like i have to go in the top and say oh i'm going to do some you know enterprise sales model which is like quickbase and things like to do so i think and so for the same for you guys if if you have the developers who are in these you know larger companies and they're experimenting they're sort of you know with like oh what if we added some real time element to this this project we're working on. Oh, there's this thing called PubNub. Wow, it costs almost nothing. You know, um, let's just get this going. And then they show it to the higher up. Say, oh yeah, we get real time data. This is how it's going to work. Yeah, they don't have definitely. they don't have the approval for some fifty thousand dollar you know price tag just to get something off the ground. Exactly. Precisely. So I think that's I think that's the way to go. Um, hey Jason, um, can I just ask, can I ask a question? No, um, no, <laughs> that's, that's enough. Enough for you. <laughs> so what, what I wanted to ask is um, just about um, marketing strategy. So and, and you're, you're kind of in this bootstrapping stage. And one of the things that bootstrapping relies on is customer acquisition. And I'm just wondering, Todd, this is really a question for you. What, what are you thinking about uh, regarding that? And what, what's your plans? Well, I mean, it's just exactly what you said. You know, we've gotten a, an amazing amount of word of mouth right now through that kind of bottoms up. Um, developer channel, sort of developer gossip hacker news type of, um, you know, the people who are actually looking to experiment with this. And that's exactly the kind of audience we want to attract. Um, I think I mentioned earlier in, in the in the podcast that um, definitely when we when we see vertical opportunities, um, whether it's in gaming, financial services or, or elsewhere, that's going to involve a much more um, structured approach to, to marketing, to messaging, to, to sales, to all of those things. And that's going to involve um, you know, scaling the company in that direction. So, but I think, you know, for us, uh, and for a lot of these projects that are similar to ours that are sort of rolling out a simpler, easier, better way of doing things, um, you really have to get grassroots support. You know, there, there's great technologies that have died on the vine simply because, you know, they go about, you know, getting, getting the wrong people excited or, or not getting anyone excited. And really our goal for the next, you know, 60 to 90 days is we just want to be on everyone's, uh, in everyone's conversation, and, and when I say everyone, I mean people who are writing code, people who are doing cutting-edge, real-time things. Well, <clears throat> sorry, following, following on from that, if, if looking at your blog, um, it looks a lot like you're wearing your heart on your sleeve in some of the, some of the blog posts. For example, the angry customer attacks. Oh, right. And, 
and then you um, you're sort of responding as well in in the sense of you know that you've had this attack from the angry customer and then you've released the source code. Um, is is that something that you think can be sustainable if you turn into like a fully funded um, operation or? Uh, did you search see where I'm going? Is that hard on the sleeve thing, or are they releasing our code thing? <laughs> well, but basically the, the 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 voice of the blog essentially is very kind of wearing the heart on the sleeve right now. So I'm right. just wondering if that's right. going to be... It, it would be voice. different, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, I mean, look, you know, um, <laughs> it's funny. It's a, it's a great question, by the way, because I, I always I always sort of laugh to myself when I see that change in tone happen on blogs as companies become more mature and more successful. Um, right. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's like I said before, you know, initially you want to appeal to the hearts and minds and, and really the, the, the brains of the, of the folks who are writing these kinds of applications. But, sure. you know, like any company over time, when you start to have a real sales force and start to try to consider, you know, create a consolidated message. And also, um, I think with any company, it's fine not to be 100 percent sure of yourself when you first launch. And if you can be flexible, you can listen to your customers and you can start to mold the company in the way you think is going to make it the best, I think that's fine. And it's fine to be very open about that. At some point, um, you you do know the kind of customers you want to target. You're able to start to say, you know what, I understand this customer maybe doesn't doesn't like what we have or we don't have the right product for he or she, but uh, that's okay. We're not going to serve, serve them. We're not going to cater to them and we're going to have a more consolidated message. We're definitely in the earlier phase right now where we're happy to listen to people's complaints, happy to respond. But, you know, over time, hopefully we'll get to a point where we, we know exactly what we are and and we know who, who and who we, we are, we're not going to serve. I, th- I think it's a good strategy. I mean, myself, on, on my Plugio blog, when Twitter pulled Plugio down, <clears throat> I did exactly the same thing, and I really wore my heart on the sleeve, and I really was very open about what was going on. And it served to produce fantastic customer loyalty. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, with that strategy. But um, even, even in my own mind, I'm kind of like, what would happen if, if Plugio was funded or, you know, or it became... What would you do, bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, for example, so Jason, you, you, you don't want to start complaining about your VCs to, to on your blog, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I. You know, one thing I was gonna uh, gonna talk about a little bit is like you know you, you talk about customer development, and I think the first group that you'll need to go after, which I'm I'm sure you guys have realized immediately, was sort of the hacker news crowd, right? That's like your first you know, group that you had, the early adopter, entrepreneurial, um, technically sophisticated group. Um, and if you guys wrote some, a series of blog posts, like how we scale to 300,000 users per server, you know, that kind of link bait stuff. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of stuff that people on Hacker News would love. And if you just tried to knock out, you know, a couple, two or three of those a week of essays just talking about that kind of cool stuff, you know, in the headline, I have a feeling that you, you know, you never know. Sometimes great stuff comes Hacker News and it just goes right off and no one clicks on it. It's really strange how that happens. But, um, you know, you probably get that Hacker News group behind you. And the other thing I was going to mention, I, I, I was pinging back and forth with uh, uh, Stephen. Was it last night, yesterday, or day before we talked? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, I can't remember a time. Just I'm confused. I don't know what day is it what anymore. But um, we, um, I, 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 I mentioned, I think, in it was like episode 40 or something, the idea of sort of like this um, massively uh, <laughs> scalable uh, web-based strategy game, kind of like a combination, uh, kind of like a Command and Conquer through the yeah. web browser. Yeah. And it, but unlike Command and Conquer, I was thinking that it wouldn't be really um, 
graphically rich, it would be more sort of like a Tetris or something, like a very simple graphics, but where yeah. you would have like a real-time strategy where you're, you know, you're mining gold and you're building, building up units and you're building up fortresses and you can't see any of the world. It's kind of blacked out until you explore it. And, but you can build this massive, massive world and it's just sort of like a grid with simple objects. And it was like something like that from a game perspective may not be that hard to build, but it would be a huge, uh, a great example of what your system could do if you had like thousands of people playing a real-time strategy game. And if you had some use cases like that, because that, that would really show off what you guys are capable of, because you see some of this um, real-time technology, and you, you'll see like these collaborative drawing apps or a little chat application, and everybody's like, okay, yeah. that's cute, right? I mean, because that's what everybody <laughs> yeah. does, because you can code it up in an afternoon or a day or whatever, and it's kind of neat. And it's a proof yep. of concept, but it doesn't really demonstrate the raw power of what is really capable. And sure. I was just thinking, like, building something like that, even if it took your focus off, you know, the core engine a little bit, it might be worth it from a customer development. Um, it, it's marketing. It's basically marketing dollars in another sense. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I, I thought that would be... Um, be kind of useful. I mean, I'm, Todd, I'm sure, you know, being on the business side, you have, you've thought of all this stuff a million times already, but I just... No, no, actually, they're, they're both great ideas. I mean, there's definitely a million things, uh, both from a sort of example application perspective we'd love to do, and, and gaming. I mean, putting some kind of simple game out there would be huge. Um, and I, I love your idea about uh, sort of, you know, creating a lot more sort of technical, just raw content to get out there and, 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 and drive interest. But, and I'll, you know, what's interesting kind of on, on a meta level taking it up, I, I just heard some news yesterday uh, you guys remember Second Life? Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. So they they've sort of uh, been 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 going through some some hard times, and I know they just uh, replaced their CEO. But what's most interesting about them is um, what's something I've kind of felt for a long time is that you know they spend so much time on you know trying to do 3D graphics, and you've got this hundred megabyte downloadable clients um, and all of those things. Stephen, is that you? No, anyway. Sorry about that. You've got all these downloadable clients. Um, that it's this the scaling, getting people, uh, you know, getting people to download it to learn how to use this uh, is really really hard, and so they have this huge barrier to entry. Now with something like PubNub, you can create these real time games where you know the fun is not so much in in this complex 3D environment, but just in this massively multiplayer uh, kind of world. And so I think that sort of what they did was they really missed the boat on kind of worrying more about the, the front-end 3D experience rather than, hey, look, we can do massive real-time, uh, you know, massive multiplayer real-time on the web. And in fact, I think what I saw in their announcement yesterday was exactly that. They're actually getting rid of a downloadable client, going for a, uh, a web-based solution, scaling down the graphics. And I think, oh, wow. that, you know, that's what, um, that's what I think is going to be huge. People are talking about real-time being in the next big wave, and I completely believe it. But it's not going to be real-time in the sense of, you know, an Xbox 360 game, massive multiplayer. It's going to be real-time in the sense of browser-based, simple flash graphic type of things, but done on a platform like this. Well, the other thing, too, is now, you know, everybody has iPads and iPhones. Everybody wants to have, you know, something working in those environments. Right. And, you know, that's another. So if you can, you can get something that, you know, works... You know, on an iPad, they, you know, like a hundred megabyte downloadable client. That's not really what you want for an iPad app, right? Yeah, from Justin, who just built his first iPad app, right? <laughs> oh, definitely not. No, no. And, um, oh, yeah. speaking of that, I just want to. I want. I want to just. Uh, you know, so I was just talking to Justin before the show, and he said that uh, he's first week swarms. He's he sold five hundred copies of Swarm, right? 
first week out? 100, 100 copies, and I was surprised. Oh, wow. Like like the first five days, I sold one a day, two a day, three a day, but then the last two days have done the other kind of 80. <laughs> yeah, and so for, if you guys haven't followed any of the, listen to your podcast, Swarm is the way I would describe it as a, as the as an outsider to it, is a, a uh, combination between chess, go, and backgammon. So you capture elements by surrounding the go, you roll dice like you do in um, backgammon, and you have many multiple different types of pieces like you do in chess. It's really very clever and uh so J- justin initially showed the game to me about i don't know a year ago and he showed a little web version flash thing and i was like i can't believe you designed this thing this is awesome and so when the ipad came out justin got all fired up again and said ah, i'm building an ipad app, ipad app and you know that's I just thought cool. It was cool i just wanted i just we were talking about the show and i just wanted it's like 100 app 100 copies in his first week is not is really good especially if they're not, it's not bad and uh, congratulations i was going to ask a question about that um how, how much are you charging, and do you have any idea on like price elasticity? In other words, how much can you charge and, and affect uh, the purchasing of the app? Well, I'm charging four four ninety nine. The way that Apple does it is they have these tiers, so the the you it goes tier one through five hundred, I think, and then each tier has a different price point in different countries. So um, <clears throat> I'm on tier five, which is four ninety nine in the USA, and I think it's like two eighty five in England or something like that. Um, so I'm charging four ninety nine, and I get three buck fifty for each sale. Mm. So um, I've I've written on the information page of Swarm that I'm going to be putting it up to nine ninety nine, and I I will do, but um, I'm going to be leaving it. Sorry, just one sec. <clears throat> I will do, but I'm going to be leaving it at 4.99 for a while because what I want to do is I want to get a user base of around about a thousand users, and once I've got once I've got that level of users, then I can really start kind of tweaking right. it and making it better. Because even because it's such a new a new kind of concept, um, even simple things like um, the, the way that it works is when you move a piece, it costs a certain number of dice points. And there's different level pieces that cost different number, different levels of dice points. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even 100% sure that those are weighted exactly correctly. And, and the only way I'll know is once right. quite a few hundred people have played quite a few games. Okay. Sorry, that was a long-winded way No, actually, it's great. I was going to ask you a follow-on. I know we're turning the interview around, but can I ask you a follow-on question to that? <laughs> yeah, go, go, go. go. Um, I, I'm just curious, um, what was the magic that went from a couple of downloads a day to 80? Was there, was there an article? Was it on a blog? Do you know how it happened? That is exactly the the question that I've been asking myself. I don't understand. Right. Like it, it just why did that happen? I don't know. Like yes, like um, yesterday it was fifty. The day before it was thirty, and then the, everything else was just in the the previous four or five days. Amazing. So, yeah, and I I think Justin, you know, you this really deserves some some good thoughtful articles I can post up on Hacker News, like how I created my own board game, and you know did X, sold 100 copies first week. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that people love to read on Hacker News. It'd be fun to read about. And the Hacker News crowd, there's certain overlap. Those are the kind of people who might like a, a game like this. So yeah, definitely. I think you need to write some stuff up on this, you know, share some of the story, and that'll probably increase your growth a little bit. Yeah, that's a good that's a good idea. Um, so, oh, guys, so, so I have a couple more questions for you. Um, it, you know, one thing that's uh, interesting, you, you, you know, Todd, you mentioned about Second Life going browser-based, and you talked about bringing things, making them tighter. It's like the, the whole move to HTML5, and we saw that uh, it was, it's been on Hacker News quite a bit late, lately about how Scribd totally ditched Flash. If you, do you guys know what Scribd is? Yeah, do- document sharing, right? 
Right. So you can upload documents that are, you know, in any type of format, Word or PDF or whatever, and um, it will be automatically converted into their format, which up until, you know, recently was using a flash reader. It, it still is flash. It's like, the, the, I don't think they've totally ditched it yet. They, they're starting the move. Oh, I basically. thought they, I thought they said completely ditched it. Well, anyway, their flash reader, apparently they're, 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 Growth, they had like a 300% increase in in, in, uh, in growth or in, in terms of um, people spending time on their site with HTML5. And HTML5 just seems to be this very powerful UI experience. And so I just think that could play really well into what these real-time um, sort of solutions because you get this real-time data coming in and all of a sudden you're like, okay, well that's great for games, but what do I really need that in a web browser if it's like for blogs and, you know, news stories, but that's not going to be the case anymore. With HTML5, it just seems like a great marriage between like this awesome, highly scalable cross-platform real-time solution and HTML5 for doing awesome web, web browser mobile graphics stuff. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, for sure, but I think that, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, you know, we still struggle with users hitting, using IE6. So if, you, if right. you're just building for HTML5, you're in trouble. Um, so I think the trick is, yeah, if you're on if you're on an HTML5 browser, there's just some amazing things you can do. I mean, you know, I love the fact you can finally stream video without Flash plugin. You know, yeah, that's huge in itself. But at the same time, you know, that's kind of the idea with with PubNub is just that we have to support all platforms. And the, the other thing that always kind of um, I always don't understand why people do this. It's like they build, you know, they'll build an iPhone version of a game. They'll build a browser version of a game. Maybe they'll build a, you know, an Android. But they're not always in the same universe. And you know, with something like PubNub, I, I don't understand why people aren't building. You know, it's it's a different window into the same world. Whether it's mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what kind of game it is uh, or what kind of experience it is. So you know, hopefully HTML5 will get some of the way there. But most likely for the next, I don't know, four or five years, because there's going to be so much diversity in terms of clients and versions of clients. Uh, you're going to need something else other than HTML5 to provide that universal experience. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. In a, a similar kind of vein about uh, uh, you know technology moving forward and languages moving forward, um, there's a there's a real trend of JavaScript, um, and we have things like Node.js and obviously PubNub. Do you think that like five years from now that JavaScript will be like English? <laughs> like English is a language, <laughs> and JavaScript will just be all all pervasive. You know, to me, what's interesting about JavaScript is it's one of the few places in the sort of open source world, non, you know, non-proprietary world, where there's no choice. I mean, really, if you want to build you know, dynamic front-end applications and you don't want to use Flash, which is not open source, uh, you know, not, not a non-proprietary platform, you're going to use, you're going to use JavaScript. Um, so I think JavaScript's got all weird quirks, and, and Steven's much closer to that than I am. Uh, I find it really fascinating just from, a, just from an economic, from a, you know, from the from where it sits in the universe, because uh, it's sort of the one the one thing you have to use in so many cases. Yeah, and it, the more it comes to sort of the full stacks, so the more that you can do um, sort of server side stuff. I mean, I know there's no JS, but it's all asynchronous, so that takes a sort of a change in thinking. And that'll take that for a certain sort of category of web apps. I think that could be a great solution, but. If if and when there's like a, a stack for the server where it's just as easy as, as writing a PHP application or something, you can just write it using JavaScript. I think that's gonna help help it take off even more on server side. I find it really funny. I'm, I may be dating myself. My very first startup was a company called well, originally Spider Technologies, and it then later became Net Dynamics. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Net Dynamics. Uh, it's it's, I, I just not familiar. I'm not sure. First, uh, first application server for the web, and we used this crazy new language on the server no one had ever heard of called Java, 
And um, <laughs> we used to go around, and I spent the first you know two years of my life, well, a year and a half of my life at that company, convincing people that Java was something you could use on the server. It wasn't just a client language because back then Java was only for the client. Um, right. And what's funny is you know now, I mean, who's using Java on the client and who's using it on the server, right? <laughs> so right, so yeah. I'm wondering if I'm wondering if the same thing will happen to JavaScript. I don't know. You know, it's uh, who knows. Well, there are more JavaScript developers probably than any other language, right? It's the most widely distributed language. And, yes. and I think that you have a lot of people who, like, like designers, front-end developers, people who can write a little bit of JavaScript but wouldn't call themselves, you know, full-scale, you know, web developers in that sense, is if you can if you can have a framework on the server that's installed and easily understood and, and you're going to have a lot of these people are just going to go, oh, I can write that. I can build something. Um, and I don't have to. I don't have to learn Python or Ruby or PHP or something. I already know JavaScript, and I think if that leveraging that installed base is really going to help. I think you're right. I think there's a, mo a lot of momentum there. And you know, on the server, I use PHP just because I have for a long time, and it's and I know it and it works. But I wouldn't mind just doing JavaScript in top to bottom. You know, if I could, if I could do it, if I could, if I could connect to a MySQL database and pull stuff out and do curl and other kind of standard things that I need to do on the server, man. I mean, I, that's, I'm there. I used to think JavaScript was very jokey language. It was very lowbrow. Mm -hmm. Like I remember five years, you know, maybe five or six years ago and, and it was just still hadn't gone up in my estimation. Um, but then I, uh, worked for a company called Sky in the UK and, uh, exclusively in JavaScript, we built this thing called an EPG, which is an electronic programming guide. And all of the stuff, you know, all of the animation, all of the stuff that you could do with JavaScript, I was kind of blown away. And um, just, it's, I think ActionScript's similar in a way. I mean, when you first when you first hear about Flash, you think, oh, that's just jokey. But then when you actually look into um, ActionScript, you know, you can do a lot with that as well. And it's weird how your perception can. Well, change. I say it's it's not the it's not the language; it's the it's the programmer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, a good programmer can can write, you know, make magic happen in basic. You know, it's just it's it's For less sure. about the language than it's. You know, it's also interesting because it's it's been it's been a very long time since you know back you have to go back to client server days before people were using the same language on the client and the server. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, there was a company, you guys know Aptana, I think they do an IDE for yep. PHP. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine was the CTO there a few years back and they did something really interesting that I think was probably six or seven years ahead of its time. I don't think it really took off, but it was really interesting. It was, um, they, they, they were able, they kind of create this framework where you could dynamically, you write everything in JavaScript. Yeah. The premise was that you would write your application in JavaScript and you could literally dynamically target where the logic ran. You could say run as server, run as client. Right. And dynamically, it would offload the uh, the processing, and so you could, he was even giving demos where you could dynamically sort of check server load and decide dynamically how much to push off to the client or, or bring back to the server. Um, so there's some amazing yeah. things that you know I think we haven't even started thinking about if we actually do have a universal you know unified language across client and server. Yeah, that's very cool, and you know. We, um, we've talked a lot about in the show about Titanium, which is, uh, allows you to build iPhone and Android apps using JavaScript. So what it does is the Titanium um, IDE will take the JavaScript and interpret it into either Java for Android or Xcode and, um, for the iPhone and then compile it to the native code. So I was able to build a, a full-fledged, um, you know, pretty feature-rich iPhone app without knowing Cocoa or Xcode or even having a Mac. And it's because of JavaScript, and uh, I think, you know, that's again, it was, it was so easy. It was, it was, I mean, I have to say, in terms of learning stuff, it was not very hard. 
um, is because I know JavaScript. And I think leveraging leveraging JavaScript for other technologies and other platforms is going to be a big win. For sure. For sure. Um, I've got a question. Um, you know, there. Uh, this is for Stephen, I guess. Is you yeah. know, um, I guess I, I'm 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 not real clear on what the HTML5 spec is or isn't. But right. it sounds like WebSockets is like one aspect of HTML5. Yes. What is WebSockets? How does it differ from the XHR the standard XHR um, component? And you know, have you looked into it, or what's what's the deal with Abs- that? Absolutely. I've even built a specification of WebSocket that worked in in the. In, on the server and client, and it's it's just a specification at this point. I mean, if you compare it to AJAX, uh, the concept of AJAX, which is XHR under underneath, XHR is already well implement, implemented and pretty standard across all browsers and clients. WebSockets is not standardized at all. It's not even complete as a spec, so that's why you don't see it in, in Firefox even right now, and mm-hmm. only in Safari and WebKit. The you know because it sounds to me kind of like what they're trying to do what people would use uh, either an, an embedded or hidden Flash um, object right. for or a hidden Java applet is you could actually open a, a normal socket to the server that isn't um, doesn't have any of the sort of limitations that you would XH, you would encounter with XHR component. So you know WebSockets is essentially a Flash socket or a Java socket, but now it's part of the standard you know, built-in browser stuff, right? That, that's pretty much it. It's, it's a, a different standard on top of it. There's a hand, handshake involved that mm-hmm. both the server and client have to, to deal with. It's that sits on top of TCP, and TCP is very vanilla, and that, that's just sort of where the platform stands. It's still a specification at this point, though, so we don't know where it's headed. Do you think right. you could build a peer-to-peer network with WebSockets? Yes, absolutely. You could do it without WebSockets, actually. You could do it with PubNub. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell, tell us a little bit about that. How could you do that with PubNub? It's, it's the same as the, uh, the chat room, uh, or sorry, the, the waiting room example that we were talking about earlier. Um, is, as long as you have uh, one client existing on a channel and you have someone else come in on top of that, then now you've started the network. But it's not, that's not really peer-to-peer. I mean, it's not two clients connecting directly to each other across the, web, across the TCP IP, right? They're, all, they're going through the PubNub servers. Precisely. That, that, that's a great so, point. So I'm talking about peer-to-peer, like with WebSockets, could we, could we create a true peer-to-peer network mm-hmm. where two machines are actually connecting to each other um, rather than going through a server? Okay, I see exactly what you're talking about now. Not, not exactly, uh, because you still can't so much send binary data from the local machine within the client. So if you were to say, for example, peer, true peer-to-peer is able to, you're able to send images and like videos and music. You can't do that with, with WebSocket specification edited. You know, Justin, you talk about peer-to-peer. I mean, ultimately, a peer-to-peer for one one browser, say, to connect to another browser. I mean, the second browser has to be listening for incoming connections. And right. WebSockets, I can imagine, would be listening for incoming connections because essentially you have a that would be like having a web browser, a web server embedded in your browser. Oh, which Oprah does, of course. Right. I remember hearing about that. We talked about that like a year ago. Yeah. It's true. They do. They do have this. It's kind of neat. It's very, it's very simple. It's very basic. And it's just listening for, uh, opens a TCP connection on your, on your uh, local box and does all the basic server stuff that you get from Apache. Hmm. hmm. That is kind of interesting. Wow. Um, Actually, so, you know, I, I, just I was going to say, I, this, not that this is anything, but uh, I was reading that Tim, Tim Berners-Lee, the sort of the inventor of of, uh, of the World Wide Web, at least of HTTP, was right. was originally thinking that all browsers would also be web servers. So I guess maybe we're getting to his original vision. <laughs> right. So cool. 
a, a sort of a true democratization of the web. Right, everybody's right. their observer. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin, I think you had a question. Um, no, I'm, I didn't actually. I just let you know we've 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 done like an hour and a half. Just to let you know. Okay, okay, so I have I have like um, one more question, and then maybe we can leave it at that. Unless the, unless um, Todd or Stephen want to cover anything, which was um, so when did you guys uh, first come out and, and start and make your service available? Because right now you guys are live, right? Like you can actually start paying for the service and, and use it, right? Precisely. When did that? Yes, when did you guys come out? Seventeen days ago. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> so you're right. Okay, that's great. So you've you've got some real steam real early. Yeah, that's yes, exactly. It's like wow. And, and, and your show is our, you know, our official launch platform now. So thank you. For that. <laughs> awesome. No problem. <laughs> we uh, we just like to, you know, we like to talk with uh, entrepreneurs and uh, people doing uh, cool, cutting edge technology. And this is this definitely qualifies. This is great. And it's also the a bootstrapping story, which that's what I was going to say. Yeah, especially the bootstrapping aspect. That's very good. Yeah, we us. we kind of attracted that. I don't think Justin and I really set out and said, "What we're going to do is we're going to talk to bootstrappers," but <laughs> I just find it more impressive you know it's like i know the thing in the valley and i was like oh you go out and get funding but i just i don't know it's like a more a rom- it's a more romantic story it's like you have like the 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 lone founder or two or three you know guys just have an idea and they just build it from the ground up and they don't go ask mom or dad for money you know they don't go to vcs oh please give us money or we can't do this it's like screw it we don't need anybody <laughs> all we're going to do is just our brains and our time and we're going to make something happen and there's nothing that anybody can do to stop us. I just love that story, and it, I don't know. It's fun. To, it's fun to. So it's so fun to talk to people who are who are doing it, like you guys. Yeah, we're we're going to oh, hear definitely. more of that story as well because that is the 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 dish du jour for the VC for the whole VC in the angel community. Like they want to see that story happening, and they want to invest in that story because it's it's much less you know it's much lower risk. Uh, if you go back historically, like as in a thousand years, um, what the bootstrap model is really the model everyone's done for all this time. This this idea is sort of waking up one morning with an idea and getting an angel or, an, or a VC to give you a million dollars. I think at least in software was a bubble that may be going away. I think, you know, really going forward, my experience anyway, is that you're going to need to show traction customers revenue before a VC is going to really touch you if you're in the software space. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's, that's interesting. And, and, and it's great that it's following that more sustainable model, you know, mm-hmm. just just for the, the that's I guess it's kind of uh, mirroring the real world. <laughs> I think it also gives people like us an advantage because we actually can build stuff around without anybody's money, right? I mean, if, if if it's the kind of thing that any 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 jackass with a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> go out and raise money and compete, you know, it it flooded the market with noise and competitors who were just taking sort of the bandwidth away. But if, if it's now down to people who actually are going to build something, uh, actually have the capability to build it, I don't know, it just clears, it clears things out a little bit. I, so I think it works to the advantage of people like us who, who can do it. Um, I also think, I also wonder if the fact that people are bootstrapping so much more and, these, and these angels investors are like, well, show us traction, show us traction. It's like, well, at some point, you know, you're building, you show traction, show traction. It's like, you know what? We don't need we your don't money. We don't need anymore. you. Yeah, exactly. We don't need you. So guess what? <laughs> Tough luck. Why don't you go invest in real estate? You yeah. Know? Right. Well, there, there's a great story about the, uh, the founder of, um, of uh, Plenty of Fish, the dating site. I think he's a, a single guy. You know, I, mean, yep. I don't know if he's single, but he's, he's a one-guy, man, one-man shop up in Canada. I think he's doing, I don't know, I read this a couple of years ago, he's doing like $7 million a year in revenue. And, it, and in, so, you know, 
VCs were both really impressed and really scared of them because <laughs> it's like, where, where do they fit in that model, right? Yeah. They, yeah, and they don't. And I like that. I like it. I like, we don't need your money. And maybe, maybe we'll take a little bit just for fun, <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> uh, but uh, just right. to accelerate our growth a little bit. But, you know, you're going to play a minor part. You're not going to give all these crazy terms about, you know, you're going to cram all these cram down terms because, you know, you don't have much power. And we'll let you along for the ride because a little bit of money later on. But yeah, I like fun. that. So anyway, I think the- and I would also say mm-hmm. that there was there was a you know it was it was different when I raised all that money for my first company in 2000. It, it took us so much more time and money and people to build just the core frameworks before we could even build our application. And today I could start building the application right away because all those frameworks are there. They're open source. I mean, I spent I think. I don't remember anymore, but it was probably about $150,000 of the money I raised just for Oracle and Sun licenses and Sun hardware. You know, of course, now it would be Linux and MySQL. So, you know, I think that you don't need that kind of money either to get things off the ground. Mm. That's right. That's right. The tools are more powerful, the more open source libraries. And of course, there's that proof, the, 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 the existence proof. The more you see that there are entrepreneurs who are building stuff without taking funding, the more, the more people are going to try and do it. And because the people who can raise money, it, it's kind of it, it, it this very depends on the constraint of the entrepreneur. Because if you're in a position where you know you're you're located in an area where that happens a lot, say Silicon Valley, or maybe New York City to some extent, then you're in a position to do that, or you you can take a certain kind of risk where you could just quit your job and do that. But you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs who have different kinds of constraints, you know, they, it, it really works to their advantage and puts them in the game. Which works for everybody because it's more innovative, cool stuff gets built and and released yeah. and put out there. For sure. So listen, guys, um, it's it's been great to have you on the show, and um, it's also very exciting that you're only 17, 17 days old and you've already got this exposure. I think that I think the PubNub has a fantastic future ahead of it. Um, Absolutely. So would you Would you agree, That's Jason? So cool. I would. If I had some angel money, I'd be investing in you guys right now. I'd be <laughs> calling you. They don't All right. The angel yes, money. You, thank you. Yeah, and they tell me screw off. Like we don't need your. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we, we, we would love to talk to you offline about that uh, that connection you had in the financial services world. That sounds yeah, really well, that's the kind of money you want, right? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Um, Revenue. I, yeah, because <laughs> I, I didn't talk to you about that because, you know, the when my client called me up, you know, I said, I'm talking to PubNub guys, but I don't know if it's that scalable or it's that level yet. But if you guys are at that level, that sounds like a way better financially anyway speaking solution than say Lightstreamer so yeah this is absolutely. an interesting yeah. um, change of events for texting Jason like the last few guests that we've had on we've ended ended doing business with ended up no, doing right. business with so that's an interesting <laughs> new uh, approach you know <laughs> yeah well, that's right we'll just it's uh, that's 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 how we you know build our uh our own business, our own networks. <laughs> Say, hey, I want to do business with that guy. Let's go interview him. Under the <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, what are you guys doing? Um, nice. Well, I, but I should just emphasize, even though we've been live for 17 days, like Steven said, the, the technology has been around underneath the covers in a lot of different projects. So it's not that, uh, it's not that new. Right. Well, that's that's good to hear, and it looks really cool. So, uh, you know, we wish you the best of luck. It's exciting technology. You yeah. guys are clearly on the right path, and we wish you the best of luck. And we'd like to, you know, hopefully keep tabs on you, and uh, you know, maybe you know, sometime down the future, have you back on and, and see how you progressed. Super. That'd be good. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so All much. Right. This has been exciting. No problem. It's been fun. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>